Good evening, church, and welcome to tonight's Bible study. Before we begin, let's start off with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for the opportunity to come at your feet and study your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, who is the master teacher, who will give us illumination, who will give us understanding and revelation in your word. Above all, Lord, May we have the faith to apply what we hear tonight, hence bearing fruits as real, genuine Christians. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. I believe you saw our flyer for tonight, uh, which means we will continue our series next week. Uh, we have paused to understand the vital Christian truth. I, I want to preach for the occasion. Uh, because tomorrow is Ascension Day. And Ascension Day is, is a Christian event on the Christian calendar, but rarely or suddenly talked about. Because I believe that anything that we can't seem to see the significance of it uh, is rarely or suddenly talked about. In my personal estimation, opinion, I believe, it could be one of the many reasons why there is not too much hoopla about that, like other Christian events like Christmas and Easter and the rest. Amen. Um, Ascension Day is a, it's a public holiday in some European okay. countries. Amen. So, and, and upheld in some Catholic quarters. It started as an Eastern Orthodox tradition uh, where they will celebrate the events. Um, albeit as New Testament Christians, we have to understand that um, this day or event, it also holds a very significant um, truth for us as Christians. It's equally important, biblically speaking, just as the birth, the crucifixion, the death, barrier, and resurrection of Christ are important. And these events in Christ's life are what we call the coming of Christianity. Amen. So what is Ascension Day? And why is it important for us to know? You may be asking that question, how does this affect my Christian life now and in the age to come? Uh, what significance does this hold for me personally? I, I believe these are questions that we have to really ask ourselves and I want to believe that within our duration, we'll be able to have as much. Amen. So Ascension Day is basically 40 days after Resurrection Sunday. So that should tell us time is really going. <laughs> so tomorrow, which is a Thursday, will be 40 days after Resurrection Sunday. It felt like just two weeks ago, we had Easter Sunday. 40 days. So 40 days after Resurrection Sunday is Ascension Day. And 50 days after Resurrection Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. So they are very uh, interrelated. You can't talk about Ascension Day without talking about the Pentecost Sunday because it's very linked. Amen. Um, it was believed that Jesus rose on a Sunday. So like we say, he stayed on this earth for 40 more days. When, when Jesus rose on Resurrection Sunday, he didn't just ascend to heaven. He stayed on this earth for 40 more days. And there was a reason why he had to be here for that period. 
So in our calendar, that will averagely be maybe a month and ten days because averagely our our the the the, the days of the year are thirty averagely. Amen. Of course, we have some thirty one. So let's just say he was here for over a month. So why did he decide to spend that time on this earth? Let's read a record of this account in Acts chapter 1, verse 1 to 11. Acts 1, verse 1 to 11. Now, this is Luke writing to um, Theophilus. Amen. So the addressee uh, of this book is Theophilus. It was believed he was an official. That's why in Luke's former book, or his first book, which is the book of Luke, Luke wrote two books. He wrote the book of Acts and wrote the book of Luke. And in, in his first book, which is named after him, the book of Luke, he referred to Theophilus as the most excellent Theophilus because it was believed he was an official, amen, a government official, so to speak. The former account I made, oh, Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. So he's talking about his book, the first one he wrote. The first one I wrote, I spoke about what Jesus did and what he taught, the miracles he did and the teachings. It wasn't just the miracles, the good things he did, how he touched people, affected humanity. Luke was particular about that in, in his book. So that's the book of Luke. And so the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to heaven? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now when he has spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received them out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Amen. Now, the book of Acts, that's chapters 1 to 28, is basically a 30-year period of the church. You know, So it was believed that the church was established in AD 33 or 33 AD, right? So what you read about the book of Acts, which Luke is narrating, 
is a period of 30 years, chapters 1 to 28. So that's, let's say, AD 33 to, or, to, or to AD 63 or 63 AD. Amen. However you want to term it. And um, in verse 3, he, he made something very important, which is noteworthy. He spoke on why Jesus had to stay on this earth for 40 days. The question is, Jesus, you finished your work. You came to die for our sins. You became the sacrificial um, penalty or lamp, and, and you paid for our sins. You paid it in food that we didn't have to incur any penalty. Why stay on this earth for 40 days? Luke answered the question in verse 3. He said that Jesus, by many infallible proofs, he had to present himself. He presented himself alive to many and was seen for 40 days. Amen. I want to corroborate this with a scripture. Open with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 to 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 to 8. So he had to stay here for 40 days by many infallible proofs to present himself. Why? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 to 8. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas. Cephas is the same as Peter. Amen. Then by the twelve, after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep, which means they are dead. After that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, then last of all he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. Amen. So from these verses, you see that Jesus made himself seen by certain people here. Peter is the first one. Amen. Then the 12. One, one thing you have to know is that Jesus had many disciples. Okay. So when he's talking about the 12 here, that's excluding Peter that's excluding Judas. Okay, so Judas was dead at that time. And it's not talking about Peter. So it's talking about Peter and then the 12. What I want you to know is that Jesus had more than 12 disciples. 12 are popular, but they were more. Then he was seen by 500 brethren. Okay, the next people he showed himself to were 500 brethren. Then to James. James is believed to be the stepbrother of Jesus, so to speak. And he wrote the book of James. Then he was seen by all the apostles. So the apostles are not 12, contrary to popular belief. There were many apostles. Okay, there were many apostles. But the prominent apostles were 12. We all get it. So there were many apostles who were doing the work of God. It's just that many of them, we didn't have the privilege to know of their works and it was not really written in the Bible. Of, of the apostles, the ones that had the prominence mentioned were Peter, James, uh, John to some extent, 
Philip was not even an apostle. He was more of an evangelist. And then just some very few people. Even Thomas, you don't hear of Thomas, but if you look into the history, Thomas did a lot of great works, a lot of great works. The first church that was planted in India was planted by Thomas. The one that we preach, the one we use him as we, we use him as an example of doubt. So many apostles, many disciples did great, great things for the Lord. Amen. It's just that not all of them were written or canonized in the scriptures. Amen. And then he was seen by Paul. Paul saw Christ exalted. He didn't see Christ in the flesh. And mind you, when Jesus was resurrected, Jesus was exalted. He wasn't the Jesus, the son of Mary. That's why he did not really allow people to have human contact with him, apart from feeling his hands, the nail prints of his hands and feeling his side. He did not because he had become exalted at that time and he was about to be caught up with the heavens, just as the Bible says. And with Paul's um, testimony, you can see it in Acts chapter 9, verse 3 to 8. I'm just going to give you a lot of scripture, so whoever is typing could please help out. Because if we are going to read all the scriptures, it will turn into a series. And I just want to finish this just one off. Amen. Acts 9, verse 3 to 8 is Apostle Paul's encounter with Christ. Amen. And then he goes on to express this testimony when he stood in front of the Jerusalem temple in Acts chapter 22, verse 6 to 11. And then when he met King Agrippa, he decided to talk about this testimony again in Acts chapter 26, verse 12 to 8. So all of them are basically the same story. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1, he speaks about it again, that he saw Christ. Amen. So what was the purpose of his appearance? So he showed himself by many infallible proofs. What's the meaning of the word infallible proofs? It's used only once. In the Greek, it's just one word. It, it simply means truth that is plain and can't be hidden. So Jesus Christ, after he resurrected, he showed truth which is plain, which cannot be hidden, that he has indeed risen from the dead and he is Lord. So for 40 days, he had to show infallible proofs, truths which are plain and can't be hidden. That shows that of a truth, he is a son of God. That is why he told them, fill my hands, fill my side, I've resurrected. And then another definition for infallible proofs means irrefutable and indisputable evidence. So Jesus had to stay on this earth to show irrefutable and indisputable evidence that he is Lord and he has indeed risen from the dead. And all the scriptures that were quoted about him in the Old Testament that a savior would die and he will resurrect, I have fulfilled that prophecy. That's why Isaiah prophesied that Christ comes in the volume of the books. He came in the volume of the books to fulfill the will of his father. So he had to stay on earth. And then he had to show it to his disciples in the scriptures. He expanded himself to them. So when what Jesus did for 40 days was to prove that I am alive, 
was to prove that I am the Lord Christ who has been prophesied by all the prophets of the old, from Isaiah to Malachi. Every scripture that you read concerning my messiahship and me resurrecting from the dead, I have fulfilled it. That's why he was here. And then most importantly, 40 days he was teaching. And what did he teach? The same things he taught them before he died. For three years, he had a message called the kingdom of God. And that's our current series. And like I say, the kingdom of God is culture, a way of life. How we do things. All of us are peculiar because of culture. How we behave, how we dress, how we talk, language, our food we eat. Likewise, Jesus came to present culture, which is different from the world. It shows in how we talk. It shows in our diets. We feed on the word of God. It shows in how we behave. It shows in our speech. Let your speech be seasoned with grace. This was Jesus' message on the earth. The whole curriculum is called the kingdom of God. And Jesus, in 40 days, he decided to stress on these messages again. Which to me shows me about repetition. So sometimes if you want truth to sink in people's lives and if you want truth to become a seed deposited into them, you have to learn the art of repeating the messages and emphasizing on the truth. And that's what Jesus did. When Jesus rose up from the dead, he didn't come with a new revelation. The same messages he had preached to them before his death, he emphasized on the truth. Hence, his reason for staying 40 more days on this earth. Amen. And in one of his last words from the teachings, he emphasized on the Holy Spirit. And for those of you who, who worship with us on Sunday, our current series where we are in the book of John Law is about the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus, so what we are doing in John is Jesus before his crucifixion, before his death. He spoke to them about the importance of the ministry of the Holy Spirit to believers. And now, he has died, he's resurrected, and he's still emphasizing on the same truths he told his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane about the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Amen. And he was telling them that, as is written in verse 8, <clears throat> excuse me, like, wait for the Holy Spirit, because when you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive power to be my witnesses. The main reason why we will have to receive the Holy Spirit, the empowerment that the Holy Spirit gives to us, is to become witnesses. Is to be able to bear testimony of Christ as Lord to others, especially those who are not in the faith. <clears throat> you have not received the Holy Spirit because you have to speak in tongues. You have not received the Holy Spirit because you have to be powerful. You have not received the Holy Spirit because you have to make money. And I'm not saying that all these things are not possible without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. But according to Christ, the reason why his disciples had to wait for the Holy Spirit was they will become witnesses. So truly, if all of us have received the person and the gift of the Holy Spirit, we are to become witnesses. Amen. But before Christ left, these disciples were very interested in the restoration of the kingdom of Israel. And they asked Jesus, Lord, will the kingdom of Israel be restored 
And you know what? Jesus never rebuked them. They were curious because they wanted to know the timeline or the season of when that will happen. And Jesus said, it's not for you to know. And these disciples too, they also knew their Bible because they had been schooled by Jesus, who is a great teacher. Part of the new covenant entails the restoration of Israel. Right? So Jeremiah prophesied about it in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 1 to 8. Part of the new covenant entails the restoration of Israel. And at that time, Israel was in captivity. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 16 to 30. It talks about the new covenant and it talks about the restoration of Israel. Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 21 to 28. That also talks about the new covenant and the restoration of Israel. Amen. So when the Israelites asked this question, they were not asking a question um, out of sync. It was in sync with the word of God. But Christ was not so interested in that. And the picture that I get from this story was Jesus was more interested in the kingdoms of this world. That is why he wanted his disciples to be endowed with the Holy Spirit so that they will preach the message starting from Jerusalem and their reach is to the uttermost parts of the earth. He was not very interested in establishing a kingdom of Israel or wresting power from the Roman um, 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 Empire and then establishing Israel as a kingdom. That was not, that was not Jesus' prerogative. And that's why in the Old Testament, when they heard the word Messiah, it was always assumed with a heroic figure, someone like Moses delivered us from you know, Egyptian captivity. So when these Israelites who were mostly under captivity between Isaiah and Malachi, they spent most of their lives in captivity. When they heard the word Messiah, a Messiah is going to come, a Messiah was going to come. They thought of Moses. They thought of somebody like Joshua who will come and deliver us out of our oppressors and that we will be able to set a colony on its own. But Jesus came for something far greater, far bigger. He came to deliver us from sin, from the kingdom of darkness, from the ruler of the age of this world who has blinded the eyes of many. That was what Jesus was more concerned with. And, and whilst he delivered the remnants and, and purchased us with his blood by dying such a gruesome and a shameful death on the cross, he, he wanted them to experience the person and the presence of the Holy Spirit so that now they could be witnesses starting from Jerusalem down to Judea, Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. Jesus was more interested in the kingdoms of the world being glorified because the gospel is being preached than setting up an earthly colony which could even pass away with time. Amen. But with that said, verses 9 to 11 is our crux of this message. He ascended and a cloud received him out of their sights. So this is the event. This is the ascension. And a little study about the cloud is not the visible geographical elements we are accustomed to. Right? So if you look out in the sky, you see a cloud. That was not the cloud that took him away. 
It's what is called the Shekinah glory. That is what Moses experienced when they when they were camping in, in between different destinations in the wilderness. In Exodus 13, verse 21 to 22, the Lord said, A pillar of cloud by day I'll be with you. A pillar of fire by night I'll be with you. And, and the Bible says that the Israelites experienced that. You see, that cloud, that was a pillar of cloud. It wasn't a geographical element. It was the Shekinah glory. Amen. And it was this same cloud that took Christ away. He was caught up in heaven. And the Bible lets us know that when Jesus ascended, there was an angelic encounter. They asked, why are you looking up? The same way you saw him ascend, it's the same way he's going to come down. And you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they all wrote accounts of Jesus' ministry on earth. But I find it interesting that it's only Luke that put the ascension in both his books. That's an Acts and in the book of Luke. Amen. But the first statement by the angels underscores the significance of this event that will be celebrated tomorrow, known as the Ascension Day. Jesus had to ascend because it shows that he is going to come back again. And John 14, verse 1 to 3, it talks to us about Jesus who told his disciples to be of good cheer. Don't be sad. I know you are broken that I am going. I know you are broken that I'm dying. You don't know that I am the Lord of death. But let me tell you something. I will have to go because in my father's house are many mansions. And Jesus said, if it was not so, I would not have told you. And Jesus says that when I go, I will come back and take you guys. John 14, verse 1 to 3. So that is the reason for the ascent. He is ascending to his father because the angels are making a statement that the same way in which you saw him ascend, he will descend back. So Jesus had to go so that we who are now recipients now of this event called Ascension, when we celebrate it, let's have in mind that he's going to come back. He left physically, and so he will come in like manner. We will see the physical appearance of Jesus descending on this earth one day. He ascended. He left visibly, and he will come in the same manner. You know, sometimes like to even see Jesus or God or certain you know, spiritual entities and elements. Sometimes you have to be in the spirit. You have to see with your spiritual eye. This is not one of those events. You will see it with your physical eye. Everybody will see it. The Bible says he will come to judge the quick and the dead. Everybody will see it. The quick meaning those who are alive and those who are dead. They will all rise up to the appearing of the descendant of Christ, because just as he ascended, he will descend. 
It's going to be something that we are going to see very real. It will be more than a 3D movie experience. As he left visibly, we will see him so in that like manner. He left in the presence of his disciples, and he will come so in like manner. So when Jesus descends back, he will descend in the company of people. Just as he ascended in the company of people, he will descend in the company of people. He left blessing his church and he will come so in like manner. He blessed the church. And when we read Luke's accounts, you will see that he blessed the church. And his coming is a blessing to the church. Because the Bible says that when he comes, we will be caught up within a twinkling of an eye. We shall change. We shall have glorified bodies. That is the blessing. The blessing of eternal life that we will never taste of death in eternity. That's the blessing. Amen. Now, the second significance I want us to know is that the ascension is what exalted Christ as the Lord and Savior of our lives. So now I just want us to read the same incident narrated by Luke in his first book. So go with me to Luke chapter 24, verse 50 to 53. Luke chapter 24, verse 50 to 53. And I read, And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands, and bless them. Now it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. Verse 52. So the last event Jesus did before he was caught up in the clouds was he blessed them. He blessed them. He blessed them. And the Bible says that while he was carried up into heaven, they worshipped him. Before they returned to Jerusalem, they worshipped him. These people had a working idea that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. They, they at least had a working idea. Then it, it's moved from a working idea because they, they now knew the scriptures to an experiential knowledge. Like, okay. He is truly the son of God. He's not just the son of Mary. He is God. Then once he died, buried, and was resurrected, they really saw him like, okay, he's really God. And when he stayed on this earth for 40 more days, with many infallible proofs, giving them so many irrefutable, indisputable evidence, I think they came to that conclusion that, we are not dealing with a man. We are actually dealing with God who has become man on this earth. And the Bible lets us know that whilst Jesus was caught up in the class and carried into heaven, the Bible says they worshipped him. And the Jewish, how they worship was just to fall prostrate on the floor. That's how they worship. They fall prostrate with their face on the floor. So when Jesus left, all the disciples fell prostrate on the floor, and for the first time, they were worshipping him. Not as the son of Mary, 
not as a teacher, not as a good man, not as a prophet, but they worshipped him as God because the ascension ascended Christ's position to be that of Lord. And that's why the ascension is important. It is through that that we've come to know of the exalted Christ who has become the Lord and the Savior of our lives. Look, for you, for you to experience the benefits of Christianity, you have to relate with Christ as Lord, not as the son of Mary, not as a good man. And sometimes that has been the difference between different sects and different faiths. There are some who will say, we believe in Jesus, but they don't believe in Jesus as God. If you reduce him to just a carpenter, if you just reduce him to Mary's son or Joseph's stepson, or you reduce him to a good man, a prophet, a teacher, a miracle worker, you will not get the best of what Christianity has to offer. You have to believe that Jesus is Lord. That's why in the book of John, the commonest word in all of the 21 chapters is believe. That's all. Believe is the commonest word. Because the book of John was written to make us come to a conclusive evidence and a conclusive fact that Jesus was not just a teacher. He was not just a son of God. He was not just a miracle worker. What sets him apart from David, from Jacob, from Abraham, from Samson, from all the heroes of the Old Testament is that he is God and he is the Lord and Savior of our lives. And we've got to recognize that. And the ascension came to put an exclamation mark on that point that Jesus is indeed Lord. And for the first time, these people worshipped him. When they walked with him for three years, there was no way on record where we saw that these disciples worshipped Jesus because they didn't come to that realization. But when Jesus was caught up in the clouds, they suddenly realized that he's an exalted Lord. He's not, he's not just our friend or our teacher. There's the man who said that, I call you friends. There's the man they could refer to, Rabbi. But now they don't see him as Rabbi. They see him now that he's our Lord. He's our God. In him we live. In him we move. In him we have our being. He's in the same class, in the same breath as God. He is divine. They worship him. So the ascension came to exclamate that point that Jesus is God. It's necessary for us to know Christ as God and know him as the Godhead. It's great we can relate to his humanity. It's great because even 2 John talks about it. That if you can't relate to the humanity of Christ, a person like that, you shouldn't even eat with him. Because if you eat with him, you have partaken of his sin. Because it's important to also recognize the humanity because he came as a man, died. Because he didn't die as God. He died as a man. Yet he was 100% God. You have to recognize that. Because it's true that, that we experience salvation and we experience redemption. But it's also important to recognize him as God because he is the Lord and the Savior. And rightfully so. Amen. Now, let me show you something in Revelation chapter 1, verse 9 to 18. 
Now, you see someone who was part of the ascension, whose name was John. He was part of the disciples that was present. He saw Christ caught up in the cloud. He was among the people. He was among the disciples that the angel said that the same way in which you saw Jesus ascend, he would descend right back to the earth. John was among them. Aside that, John worked with Jesus for three years. John had a close relationship with Jesus. Things that he was privy to, not many of the disciples were privy to. For example, the transfiguration. Only three disciples ex experienced the transfiguration. It was Peter, James, and John. John was one of them. The rest, the nine, never experienced, and the other disciples. So John was one of Jesus' inner circle of people. And John was the only disciple who didn't betray Christ. At the foot of the cross, it was only one disciple that was present, and that was John. And Jesus looked at his mother. He said, Mother, woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. You see, Jesus did not have any possession. Jesus was poor. Second Corinthians 8. For our six, he became poor. He was a poor man. He wasn't rich. He was poor for our six. And he became poor for our six. So his only trusted possession was his mother. Even his garment, the Bible said there was no seam. There was no, it was a seamless garment. It was a very simple, common, not flashy, not extravagant. Amen. So this was a very simple man. A very simple man. His appearance was very simple. Amen. All right. So now, John chapter 1, verse 9. Verse 9 to 18. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and my internet dropped, so let me just read it again. John chapter 1, verse 9 to 18. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island. That is called Patmos for the word of the Lord and testimony of Jesus Christ. I was on the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. I saying, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and last. What you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia. So all the seven churches are mentioned from Ephesus to Laodicea, 12. Then I turned to see the voice thou spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet. So the lampstands represents the tabernacle. A lampstand is an article of the tabernacle. So something about the churches. Amen. And he was clothed with a garment down to the feet and gathered about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were like wool. As white as snow, his eyes like a flame of fire, his feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, his voice as the sound of many waters. 
he had in his right hand seven stars out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was like the sunshine and strength and when i saw him i fell at his feet as dead but he laid his right hand on me saying to me do not be afraid for i am the first and the last i am he who lives was dead and behold i'm alive forevermore amen i have the keys of hate and death now before we look at john's description of what he saw let's look at what christ said because christ said some things from what we have seen it's about christ it's unveiled his divinity before john amen now the first thing that christ said is i am the alpha and the omega jesus is god revelation 21 verse 6 god the father also said i am the alpha and the omega so Jesus is in the same class and in the same breath as God. Amen. The second thing that he said is that I am the first and the last. Well, in the Old Testament, there was also God the Father who said, I am the first and the last. That's why Jesus could confidently say, even though he was 33 years on the earth, that before Abraham was, I am. I am. So the one who said that I am has sent Moses to go and deliver. I was there. I am. He's in the same class and in the same breath as God. Then he said, I am he who lives, was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Jesus is saying that I am the Lord of Lords. I am the Lord over death. What makes Jesus the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is his mastery over death. He conquered death. And that's why he's King of Kings and he's Lord of Lords. Exclusively his title. And then he said, I have the keys of hate and death. Jesus has authority and power to judge and punish sin. He has the keys of hate and death. And then what you also have to know is that he has conquered hate and death. That is why he has the keys. And if you read Revelations chapter 20 and chapter 21, you will see that the devil will be cast into the lake of fire with hate and death because Christ has the keys. He's coming back as a judge. So the ascension came to put an exclamation point on Christ's exalted state as the Lord and Savior of our lives. Do you all get it? Now, before the foundation of the world, Christ was already God. So when the Bible says that he was exalted, he was exalted in the eyes of the disciples. That's why he was exalted, not in the eyes of God, because he was already God. Before he came down on the earth, the Bible said that he was God, did not see robbery to be equal with God, but he emptied himself. That's the meaning of humbling in the Greek. He emptied himself of all his divine privileges and condescended in like fashion as a man. He was already God, but he was exalted in the eyes of the disciples. That's why he is God. Do you understand? So in the eyes of the disciples, they saw it as an exaltation. But in Jesus' case, he sees it, it's a, 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 a point to buttress strongly that indeed he is God. 
with many infallible proofs. That's why before he ascended to heaven, there were so many infallible proofs, irrefutable truths and evidences that show that Christ is already God. Now look at John's description. One thing that you have to understand about Revelation is that things are written in symbols. So it's not literal. So what John is giving to us is not a literal makeup, a literal visual representation of Christ. Because nobody has seen Christ before. The Bible lets us know that God was an unapproachable light. Nobody at First Timothy chapter, nobody has seen him before. But these are just symbols to, to put some truth on his divinity. So the first thing that John says that he saw him clothed with a garment down to the feet and gathered about the chest with a golden band. It speaks that Christ is the king of righteousness. It's talking about his righteousness. Then it talks about his head and hair were white like wool and white as snow. It speaks of his priestly purity. Christ is pure. Christ is pure. It speaks of his purity. It talks about his eyes like a flame of fire. In fact, when we are caught up at the end of this age, we will see perhaps the visual representation of our Lord and Savior. Up until now, we will have figures of speech and symbols to talk about his divinity that of a truth he is God. The Bible talks about his eyes like a flame of fire. It talks about him being a refiner. You know, brass is refined when it touches fire. Rubbish heaps are bent when they touch fire. A piece of crisis refinery. And in the Old Testament, he is called a refiner. Amen. His feet were like fine brass. It speaks of his reign forever and ever. He is the king of kings. He is the lord of lords. He is going to reign forever and ever and ever. Because his feet is like fine brass. It speaks of his everlasting kingdom. That is why Jesus said to John, I am he who lives, was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. He's alive forevermore. His kingship is alive forevermore. His lordship is alive forevermore. Because his feet is like fine brass, symbolically speaking. His voice as the sound of many waters. He's the God of all the earth. The seas, the rivers, everything belongs to him. As he, in his right hand, seven stars. is the summation of perfection. The Lord, our God, is perfect. He sums perfection. It talks about a sharp two-edged sword out of his mouth. It signifies the word of God. Christ is the word of God personified. That's why in John 1, 1, it says that in the beginning was the word. That was Christ. And the word was with God. And the word was God. That's Christ. And the Bible says that when he opened his mouth, a sharp sword, two-edged sword 
came out of his mouth. He is the word of God personified. And then his countenance is like the sun shining at full strength. It speaks of his powerful holiness. And all this had to happen. That is why Christ had to ascend. To be Lord of Lords, to be King of Kings. Thank God for the ascension. Because it's true that, that we can see the, and experience the supreme majesty and the supreme power of our Lord God. Amen. And thirdly, the third significance, his ascent made the Holy Spirit descend on humanity. Joel chapter 2, verse 28 to 29. Acts chapter 2, verse 14 to 38. The Holy Spirit has been sent specifically to believers. The Holy Spirit has not been sent to the world. The Holy Spirit has been sent specifically to believers. Christ has been sent to the world. And when you receive Christ, then you qualify to receive the Holy Spirit. But when you receive the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit. So, so it's not even going to work because you are not on the same frequency. It's just like you have an, an FM wave and then you are tuning on AM wave. You, you, you miss the signals. And, and it's like that with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is spiritual. And for, for us to get him, we first and foremost need to be born of the Spirit and washed of the blood. And then the Holy Spirit becomes essential to us. Amen. So Jesus had to ascend so that the Holy Spirit would descend. And that's why he's called a helper. Because one of the major helps of the Holy Spirit is to express in our hearts our sonship to God so that we can see God as our Father. And when we see God as our Father, it's very comforting because that means he will never leave us nor forsake us. That's why Jesus said to the disciples, I will send you the Holy Spirit who is a helper. Amen. God is present just as a responsible father is in the life of a child. So today, I hope we have understood the significance of the ascension events and its significance to our Christian faith. So take time to listen to the message and note all the points outlined. May the Lord give you all understanding on this subject. Amen. It's eight o'clock. Who has any contribution, any question? I'll allow for just one, and then we'll pray and close off. What have we learned tonight?
Nobody has learned anything tonight. I enjoyed the explanation on uh, the ascension. It was very well explained. So, so I think that's what I learned. Okay. So which parts of the ascension did you learn today? Oh, uh, the whole the whole thing. I just like I, I really enjoyed the breakdown of everything, uh, the prophecies and uh, Jesus and um the importance of the ascension, I think. That's that's what strikes me the most. Just the uh, importance of it. Amen. All right. Yeah. Thank you. All right, let's pray. Father, may we esteem you more as Lord. May we see you in your rightful place, in your rightful position. And based on how we see you, May it affect our worship towards you. Thank you that from today we have learned of the blessed hope of you coming back for your church, blessing your church. Thank you that with this, without a shadow of doubt, we believe that you are not just the Son of God, but you are God and you are the Lord and Savior of our lives. And Father, we thank you that your ascent made it possible for the descent of the Holy Spirit that we will be witnesses. I pray that, O oh Lord, may we be empowered, may we be emboldened to fulfill that task of declaring that you are God indeed and there is none beside you. This is our prayer. Our prayer from what we have learned tonight is that May we win souls because your ascent has made it possible for us to win souls by reason of the Holy Spirit's descent on our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, God bless you guys.